the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and uh, we have a lot to cover. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get signed up for our daily email, What You Need to Know, What You Need to Know, The Daily Wink, What You Need to Know, comes into your inbox, 8 o'clock East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, and everywhere in between in the mountains or in the uh, Midwest. And uh, there's a lot in there, a lot of links, lots of things to cover, and we'll kind of cut to the chase. All right, so there's a million things going on, right? Uh, General Milley is being defended now by people when it seems like it's almost indefensible what he was doing, but a lot of the details we don't know. I did see Carl Rove on Fox News, and Carl Rove said, well, I don't really trust Woodward. Now, that's my experience, I think. I just don't believe him. But I had a long conversation, I think it was um, yesterday's program, with um, Ron Kessler, who was a reporter at the Washington Post back in the day with uh, Woodward. And he said he'll make some mistakes, he'll have some things off, but generally he uh, he is telling you what is going on. So we'll see if more comes out about that. Uh, and, uh, of course, Afghanistan is a disaster. We've got a big news out of the U.K. Um, and uh, Australia. America signed a deal to give Australia some nuclear subs so they can be more um, uh, protect can protect themselves better. And as I said in an interview I did, it's totally, totally wonderfully predictable if you put America first that you think that in the world the biggest threat is the communist Chinese regime. So helping Australia be stronger is just smart. So I like that move. And selling them a bunch of nuclear-powered submarines is really smart. So that's all good from where I sit. But let me get to today's what you need to know. What you need to know today is that there is an epidemic, an epidemic of fear in this country. What are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid of a million things a day. We're afraid of inflation. We're afraid of uh, the COVID. We're afraid of China. We're afraid of drug overdoses. We're afraid of, afraid of, afraid of, afraid of. And what I want to say is it doesn't matter how so many Americans became afraid you know, have and I'm not saying that you're sitting around totally paralyzed by fear, but I am saying that a, a lot of people have fear in their lives that impact them a lot. It's not, you know, everybody's got some fears, right? They worry about this or they worry about that, and you just kind of move on. But it, we have a, an epidemic here where fear is really driving people to an unhealthy spot. And I hate to sound like FDR. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, as the famous famous phrase he said. But I do want to underscore the epidemic of fear. We have to take it on. We have to take it head on. Because if you're so afraid of COVID, you're afraid of the, of the virus, you're, or you're afraid of the vaccine, or you're afraid of the treatment, or you're afraid of this or afraid of that, you're afraid of the liars in the government, you're afraid of liars in healthcare. you're afraid of liars in pharma, you're afraid of liars on TV, you're afraid of liars, liars, liars under your bed. It makes you crazy. And we have to put that aside. And I've been reading about this. I've been reading my Bible and I've been reading and reflecting on this. We have to put it all aside 
And we have to realize that it doesn't mean you don't have things to worry about, concerns, uh, projects you got to do better, ways to think about it. But we have to try to get peace in our lives, peace in our hearts. And one of the number one things you can do is if you want to give peace a chance, again, I'm, I'm echoing John Lennon, if you want to give peace a chance, you've got to shut down, you've got to shut down the narrative machine. And by that, I don't mean you got to beat the narrative machine. You know, guys like me and others are trying to beat the narrative machine and give you the truth. But you have to shut it down. What do I mean? You have to take three steps and three steps both in terms of your understanding and feeling and, and then very specifically your physical conduct. Okay, you ready for the three steps? One, cut yourself off from big tech. Cut yourself off. Put the smartphone away. Put it in the car. I leave my smartphone in the car a lot of times when I go into my home at the end of the day so that I can't look at it. And I have a stupid smart watch. I have to take that off sometimes because I'll end up looking at that. So cut yourself off from big tech. Close your laptop. Read a physical book instead of a Kindle. Break that big tech dominance. And, and of course, take a break. Take a break from Facebook and Twitter and social media. All of those things are in a very sophisticated way trapping you. And you got to break that. So that's number one, the big first step. Second, same deal, very similar. Step away from big media. Believe me when I tell you all the media is lying. And they're not lying because, well, they're not lying. Let me say it better. All big media is lying to distract you, to, to cause you anxiety. And they're telling you why, by lying, what I mean is they're telling you one half of the story, one side of the story, so you'll be agitated. And so you have to step away from big media. And you have to step away, and as you step away, you have to say, I don't believe them. I had a, a spiritual uh, a director, a, a spiritual mentor, who used to say to me, and it was I think he gleaned it from, uh, from um, Norman Vincent Peale, I think in The Power of Positive Thinking, this was one of his tools, is when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do before you start anything else, you say, I believe, I believe in your faith. You're talking about your faith. And, and saying out loud, I believe, has a, has, a, has a value. It kind of shapes you. It moves you in a direction. Well, when it comes to big media, you have to say, I disbelieve. I don't believe any of them, including Fox. I don't believe any because their business model demands agitation. So number one, step away from big tech. Turn it off. Number two, disbelieve big media. And number three, distrust big government. And by big government, I don't mean necessarily your local government. You may not trust your school board, but you can at least figure that out. You may not trust your sheriff, but you can figure that out. You don't have the time or energy, and you have too much against you, big media, big tech, to figure out how big government's lying. So just disbelieve it. Just distrust it. Distrust it. That's a better word. Forget disbelieving. Distrust it. So your starting point is not trust and verify, it's verify then trust. That's the pivot. So, I, I, And if you can do this, you'll have a better chance of eliminating or, or limiting fear in your life. And I have to tell you, you need to, if you feel pretty good, if you have peace, if you're able to kind of get yourself there, I want you to think about around you, the people around you who have a lot of fear in their lives. Senior citizens have been just, have just, beaten down by the message that COVID is a threat. 
And you can say it was all lies and it was deceiving and all. It doesn't matter how we got here. It matters to describe where we are. Our children, after a year and a half of this, feel like they're buffeted by forces they don't understand. And we need to protect them. We need to acknowledge their fears. So that, that's, that's one of the things that's at the heart of this right now. Same thing, by the way, with, uh, with uh, people that are, are, uh, are um, uh, um, unvaccinated, that, you know, the president of the United States calls them a threat. Most of those people, they're just saying, they're saying, I don't trust you. I don't know what you, well, why are you attacking me? Why are you targeting me? That's the word someone used in an interview. So the fear of what's happening is just seizing people. It's taunting people. It's terrifying people. And we have to take very specific steps to stop it. Stop it. So, as I said, step back from big tech, disbelieve big media, and distrust, or, or, yeah, distrust and verify. Not trust and verify. Verify, then trust. All of big government. It's a big deal. It's a big moment, but I'm watching this. I'm looking at the California recall data. I'm looking at what's happening, and everybody says, "Oh, I don't trust uh, the government. I don't trust Biden. I don't." Wrong track is in the you know everything. The wrong track numbers are huge, and people believe it's on the wrong track. And yet, people are afraid in lots of ways that I don't think we're yet acknowledging. They're afraid for their kids. They're afraid for their health. They're afraid for the future. They're afraid for the republic, and all that fear has a is a corrosive has a corrosive effect on people on human beings so do your best first to recognize that around us maybe you have the maybe you have a great spirit of peace but maybe you don't maybe you have to work on it i know i do i get anxious i get worried i get i get uh, concerned i get i get fearful of the future how are we going to stop this what are we going to do to make it make it better so the first thing is recognize the fear around us and empathize with people who are going through this and find common ground. But ultimately, the most corrosive element, the most devastating element, the, ne- the worst thing that's going on is the narrative machine. Big tech, step away from it. Big media, disbelieve it. You have permission to disbelieve it. And big government, distrust it. And go from there. All right, everybody. I got to take a break. When we back, come back, Ed Martin, we got a lot more today. Don't forget to visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And it's time to check back in with our friend Janet Porter. She is at the center of it all, if I have to say, in terms of the pro-life movement. More things happening. Uh, Janet, lots of things happening in the country. But first, tell me how uh, the response to the Texas law has affected your efforts to to do more heartbeat bills in the other place parts of the country. In other words, and let me lay it out again for our listeners that may not have tracked the last time. The Texas law, which is getting a lot of attention because the state created a way for individuals and nonprofits to sue abortion clinics, which was unique. But it also at the at the heart of it was a heartbeat bill about when you started to protect that baby. And so it's getting a lot of attention on the lawsuit part or or the enforcement part. But the, at the heart of it again is a heartbeat bill. How has this helped, or or is it making other states uh, wait, watching to see what happens? Tell us what the impact has been in other places. It's actually ignited other states because what we have now is what the pro-life movement has been missing for about 50 years, and that is a clear pathway to victory. 
not sometime in the sweet by and by, not when we hope the court makes a, a, a ruling. No, right now we have the way to get a heartbeat law enforced. And you said it. It's the civil penalties. They're going at the heart of what's really motivating abortion, and that is money. And so if you sue, a citizen in Texas can sue any abortionist that breaks the law, that violates the Texas heartbeat law. And when they do, uh, guess what? The abortionist will pay them, will be forced to pay them $10,000. It's not just the abortionist. It's the clinic escort, the employees, the secretaries, the insurance companies. We can sue all those who aid and abet in taking the life of a child with a detectable heart. And it's in effect right now. It's already saving hundreds of lives. By the end of this, uh, uh, it'll be 40,000 lives a year at a minimum. And so we don't have to wait. Other states are calling. The phone's ringing off the hook. Where can we do this? How can we do this? I've got model bill already posted on F2A.org, faith, the number two, action.org. People can download it and run. Um, we can also help you to fine-tune it for your state. Um, just hit the contact button when you go to F2A.org. But we're standing by, ready to help. But what we know now is we have a way to get a heartbeat law enforced right now where children are protected. And that's the thing, Ed. I had, I had a friend make some calls, called all around to the abortion mills in Texas, and it's working. They are not, at this moment, killing children whose heartbeats can be heard, and uh, that saves nearly every child. According to Planned Parenthood, as many as 9 out of 10 children who face abortion, and mm. that is a huge stride. There's a place in America that doesn't kill children whose heartbeats can be heard, and that's, uh, that state is Texas, and there'll be many more that follow. Uh, we're talking with Janet Porter, and again, she mentioned F2A.org. If you go there, you can read all about how they, how uh, she got here, what was going on. She's authored, I think, six books and done all sorts of things uh, in activism, but this is this heartbeat bills. Uh, last I checked, Janet, it was introduced in 30 states. Is that right? Is it 30 uh, states have introduced yeah. heartbeat bills or close close to it? Yeah, it was 29, but we're up to, to over 30 now. And, and the thing is, now we know the model that will be, that will be able to be enforceable right away. And so that's why I'm telling mm-hmm. states, even that have passed heartbeat laws, uh, it's time to do a Texas version, get this thing enforced right away. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you've heard me say many times, Ed, and I want to say thank you for being a supporter, a believer, and, uh, and putting your faith to action and helping heartbeat bills pass. Uh, but as I told Dr. Dobson uh, on a show that aired today, I said, Doc, when I told you we were going to end abortion, did you believe me? And he said, well, you know, <laughs> we've been disappointed so long. And by the end of the program uh, today, I said, we're going to end abortion. He says, I believe you. It's now happening. <sighs> and uh, a lot of people rolled their eyes. I said it for a lot of years. But uh, thank God you weren't one of them, Matt. I want to thank you for standing with us to keep hearts beating. It happened. Praise the Lord. Well, you're you're nice to uh, say, but I have to say, uh, you really, uh, you and a few others were really the ones that kept going when a lot of people, you know, lots of things came on and uh, elections. There's candidates all now. Janet, we're talking Janet Porter again. F2A.org. If you go there, you can learn all about what she's doing, what the heartbeat bills look like. Also, you can support her efforts, her ministry. She is uh, she is a phenomenon, and and there's a lot of reason to uh, help her because it's, it's as you say, it's happening. What what do you say when you get people, Janet, that say, oh? Oh well, um, now we got to wait till the litigation, and we got to wait till it goes to the Supreme Court. You know, we, we, let's wait and see because it. If this isn't going to work, the courts strike it down. Well, we better just stop here. I mean, I think you hear that from too many in the pro-life movement. 
<laughs> we, it's already working, Ed. We don't have to wonder anymore. We have to sit on our hands and wait. We actually have a bill that is protecting children whose heartbeats can be heard. It's happening now. It's happening today in the state of Texas, and it's going to be happening all over the country. And that's that's the good news. We we don't have to keep in our hands and and you know whining about the courts. Look, it's it's upheld. The court could have stopped it, and they didn't. And so uh, we've got, again, what's been missing. We've got a pathway to victory. We've got a model bill that you can pass in your state. We'll help you do it. Um, And we're going to keep hearts beating. We're going to end abortion. As I've been saying now for decades, it's happening. And it's happened uh, in a pretty big state to start, which is a a wonderful thing. By the way, the the Senate president, uh, excuse me, the the, the, uh, Senate sponsor of the heartbeat bill in Texas, Brian Hughes, he's a guy that, that we needed a Senate sponsor. And I heard him speak one day in Texas. And he got up to the podium, Ed, and he used his time at the platform to present the gospel. And I said, that's my guy. Hmm. And so I asked hmm. him to be the sponsor of the Texas Heartbeat Bill. Next thing you know, I'm sitting on the floor of the state Senate in Texas where the committee hearing was. He's at the end of the table because he was not only the sponsor, Senator Brian Hughes, he was not only the sponsor of the Heartbeat Bill, but he was chairman of the committee that voted it out, that sent it to the House and up to the hmm. governor. So it's, it's an amazing thing. And I was looking for somebody who was sold out to God, and thank God we got him. And, uh, and yeah, we're seeing a victory. I made a promise a long time ago that when God finally did what I knew was coming, um, that I would give him all the credit, all the glory, all the honor. And, uh, and so we, give, we, we say it now, that thanks goes to Jesus Christ, the author and the giver of life. Well, and Janet, I want you though to also thank. Give me some of those names again, because I want na- na- not not the not the people like me and others that helped say, "Oh, good idea," but the men and women that were in the in positions over these few years that that you know took the state senators, state reps. I mean, in Texas, that tell me that name again, and then a, a few of the others. Sure. Like, who are the heroes that you want to say and we want to keep praising? Sure. You know, I'll tell you, one was Brian Hughes, the Senate sponsor and the chairman of the committee. Uh, Shelby Sloss was the House sponsor. But Briscoe Kane did a lot of work along with Tom DeLay, our heroic man who mm. charged the Hill with us in Congress. He, he actually joined with Briscoe Kane a few years ago to get the Texas Republican Party to embrace, to endorse the heartbeat bill. So, so you see the victory today, but you don't see all the groundwork that went into it. And there was a lot of it, and a lot of heavy lifting was done by Tom DeLay, Briscoe Kane, uh, uh, Brian Hughes, who uh, who who, who sp- led the charge this last go on, along with Shlo- Shelby Slauson in the House. Um, it's it's an amazing thing to see that uh, we've got so many that have uh, have been working for for now a decade since God first put the idea to keep hearts beating back in November 2010. Uh, we now have seen 14 states pass heartbeat laws, as you said, over 30 now have introduced it. But now we have a place unlike any other where the heartbeat law is actually enforced where babies with beating hearts will live and not die. And that is what the pro-life movement has been longing for, praying for, and what we have been working for all this time. All right, Janet Porter, again, F2A.org. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for, again, for your perspective, because if you look at Janet's uh, biography, she's worked in uh, in uh, Ohio, Right to Life. She's been uh, on every media thing. She's done movies, books. She's a communicator, um, and she's a conservative all these years. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's happening with health freedom and, you know, your perspective on what you're seeing. I've heard you talk about this on some calls, and that's why your passion is always shining through. But, you know, a lot of our folks 
are are living in a spirit of fear. They're afraid of of the the government. They're afraid of the the uh, medicine. You know, they're afraid of the virus. A bunch of our people are afraid, and the fear is what I'm worried about. I talked about it in my open. And but, get, what's your perspective on where we are and what you're seeing and, and understanding happening? You know, it's interesting that the same week that the Biden administration, uh, through the Department of Justice, sued the state of Texas. And, and what are they doing? They're using all the slogans, the, the misused slogans we've heard for decades. My body, my choice. You know, we got to they say that that extends to take the life of another human being with a detectable heartbeat. But you know what they don't agree? <laughs> we have the right to control our own bodies. It's our body, our choice, whether or not we want to have a, a, a vaccination. And so the same way that they sued the state of Texas on the misuse, my body, my choice, then the Biden administration has come out and said, you don't have a choice of what they do to your body. We're going to force an injection of experimental uh, uh, gene modification chemicals into your body. And you know what? We say no. Guess what? Um, people are saying, I, I'd rather have you fire me. And by the way, there's legal legal action you can take. Groups like Liberty Council are waiting in the wings to represent you for a false firing, for a violation of your human rights, your religious freedom, the Nuremberg Code. And so I say this, there is a there's a cure. Um, there are actually lots of treatments that work. One was ivermectin that I took and never got COVID, even though I was exposed to it in, in, in large doses. Uh, ivermectin is something I recommend. You can get it from America's frontline doctors. Just look them up. America's frontline doctors. You can get it from your own doctor from them. Um, and, and, and you've got a, you've got a disease that without treatment is 99.9% uh, uh, curable. But when you take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and some of these other things, vitamin D's, it's got a lot of, uh, along with zinc and others, that, that that's something you, that that, are, that 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 actually works. But what I say to the Biden administration: How dare you? How dare you try to to make us all your slaves and dictate to us what we have to inject into our body? It's an experimental vaccine. But by the way, um, <laughs> it didn't go through the trials. And when they tried it on animals, the animals died. But they're putting this into people, and they're trying to make it make it forced. And I say, don't do it. I'm not going to take yeah. the vaccine. I don't care what it costs me. And uh, there's there's a way around it, and there's treatments that work. So that's that's message. Don't quit your job. Let them fire you. And then you can sue with free legal counsel like those from Liberty Council. Yep. F2A.org. Find out more. Get on uh, get on Janet's email list. Support her work. Thank you, Janet, as always. I'm out of time. And uh, keep up the good work. Keep us in the loop as you're hearing or whatever you're hearing. We'll spread the word. Thanks, Ed. God bless you. All right. God bless you. We'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Robert Law, and Robert is the Director of Regulatory Affairs and Policy over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. It's a really valuable website. Uh, we t- have talked uh, quite frequently, Robert, with your colleague, Todd Benzman, and he's just a great resource. Uh, and um, But I wanted to get you to give us this context because it's, sort of, it's sort of inside the swamp. And so, but we, people got to understand it. The, the headline of a po- piece you posted a day or two ago, legal immigration will explode, legal immigration will explode under budget reconciliation bill. Walk us through what that means, please. Absolutely, and thanks for having me, Ed. Um, as as you may know, you know through budget reconciliation, the Democrats are trying to ram through a major overhaul of our immigration laws. Most people are focusing on the amnesty, rightfully so. That's eight million illegal aliens at least who will be put on a path to citizenship. But what's being 
completely overlooked is that there are some stealth provisions in this same budget reconciliation bill that will um, cause chain migration to absolutely skyrocket. And they do it in a couple hmm. of different ways. And really, it's only people who like really dive into our immigration laws that can understand it. They, they purposely frame this in a very convoluted fashion to obscure what's really going on here. Um, so if you'd like, I can I can help walk your listeners yes, through. Yes, yes, please. Well, pl- yeah, please walk. Yeah. yeah, yes, please, please walk us through it. Yep, this is important. Okay, so so step one is what they're calling recapturing unused visas, unused green cards. Now, this is a complete legal fiction. There is no such thing as an unused green card. Under our immigration laws, there are two hundred twenty-six thousand non-immediate relatives uh, that can get a family-based green card in a year and 140,000 employment-based green cards. And the law is very clear that if for whatever reason you do not hit the 226,000 or the 140,000 employment-based, then any shortage hops over the next year to uh, the other side. So if, for example, there's 220,000 family in a year, um, those extra 6,000 get added onto the employment the next year. And at that point, if, if they don't get utilized, then, then they go away. So essentially, you actually have two bites of the apple for this, you know, this visa. Um, and, and what they're trying to claim through this bill is that, well, if it didn't get utilized, then it um, needs to be brought back to life, almost treating every single potential green card as an entitlement, uh, as opposed to a mm. demand-driven opportunity. And, and, and so that's, that's the first aspect of this. And, of course, the legislation does not put a numerical number on how many of these green cards are going to be brought back to life. Um, I've crunched some numbers myself trying to decipher their formula. I believe it's going to be around 800,000. Um, some of my friends over at Numbers USA have crunched the numbers. They're, they're, they're a little bit lower, around 600 or so thousand. Regardless, it is a, a significant number of chain migration green cards that are being added on top of the 1 million green cards that are already, um, you know, awarded on an annual basis. So, so are they, are, are, are they, and, and when they're doing this, is this a policy preference of the entire Democrat party? Is it a policy preference of uh, the swamp? I mean, it cuts both parties. Who, who really wants this? Sure, that's a great question. So it certainly seems that the the Democrat Party is universally in favor of unlimited immigration. So they're fully on board. Gone are the days of the so-called blue dog conservative Democrats who actually cared about, you know, labor protections for, you know, blue collar workers. They're just all in on the potential future voters down the line. Um, But as you said, this does cross over the political spectrum because, the, the corporate wing of the Republican Party loves legal immigration at as large a level as possible because you increase the number of workers, you push down wages, and the corporations and their CEOs and other executives, they reap the benefits by maximizing their profit margins, pushing down wages, and forcing American workers out of, out of the labor market altogether. Yeah, it's uh, it is. um, And and uh, I guess um, who's stopping it? 
Uh, is there any is there any force that can stop this? I, I mean, and, and is it a force? It's funny with the Republicans. Only a few of the Republicans in the past have wanted to sort of lead all the way on on. You know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I'm against illegal immigration. But oh, illegal immigration. We need this and this and this and this. Who's stopping it? Are there heroes out there that are in that you can identify that are, are, are stepping up? Uh, so, so hero might be too strong of a word. I will say that several uh, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee did yeoman's work on Monday, uh, raising objections to these provisions and the other immigration provisions uh, during a committee hearing. But they basically hmm. got steamrolled by, you know, the Democrats controlled the right. committee. They voted as a block. And so every every effort to improve or, uh, you know, make the bill less bad was just demolished. And, and so, frankly, this boils down to one of two scenarios. Scenario one is someone like uh, Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema or one of these other uh, vulnerable Senate Democrats uh, refusing to go on board uh, with the whole package. Now, I haven't heard anybody, uh, any of them talk about the immigration provisions. You know, you've heard Manchin talk about all oh, 3.5000000000000 That's too big of a number. But he's right. not saying this is objectionable right. because we're trying to ram through immigration. Um, so. Right. If, if the Democrats don't hold the line on the Senate side, then this fails. But uh, assuming that Manchin folds and the other ones fall in line, as they always typically tend to do, this really is going to boil down to uh, what's known as the Senate parliamentarian. Now, this is some sort of unknown, non, supposed to be non-political position. Um, and, and this person is basically going to decide, are these parts of the reconciliation bill, which is supposed to be related to the budget, are they actually related to the budget? Or are these policies that um, really need to go through your, tri- your typical legislative channels, which would potentially trigger a filibuster? And, and that's really what this whole thing is about. Democrats claim that amnesty and massive legal immigration increases are widely popular, and yet they can never muster the votes to get it across the finish line. And so it's clearly not that popular. It's just a select view right. of the, of the, the, <laughs> right. far, the far left and then the corporate interests on the Republican side that like it. Um, but there's not, there's not enough votes there to overcome the filibuster. And so they are trying to essentially ram this through under uh, you know, this archaic and arcane um, reconciliation process, which nobody understands. Um, and again, this is this process reconciliation is supposed to be limited to things that are directly related to the budget. So we're talking, you know, dollars and cents. We're not talking amnesty. We're not talking green cards. That's policy with a capital P. Right. And those things are supposed right. to, uh, in the normal course, be adjudicated on their own merits. And um, you know, repeatedly, amnesty has failed, and uh, there's been no meaningful changes to our legal immigration system either. So it really, unfortunately, looks like it's going to boil down to how the Senate parliamentarian will rule wow. on the germaneness or, or the relevance of this. And you already see people on the left, they've identified her by name, they're starting to bully her on, on Twitter and other social media, and it's just a very orchestrated campaign to try to pressure her to vote yes in spite of what law and common sense would, would say. <sighs> We're talking with Robert Law, who's the director of regulatory affairs and policy over at the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, CIS.org. Uh, Robert, uh, just a minute or so left. What's the timeline on that? I, I think I remember that this week, a few in this some days in here, the Democrat and Senate st- uh, Republican staffers were going to argue in front of the parliamentarian, like appealing to the to the grand poobah. What's the timeline when we'll know what the status of that is? 
So I, I think it could ha- it could happen any day um, now, possibly as early as sometime next week. It's my understanding that those arguments uh, were had last Friday, that the parliamentarian had uh, follow up questions for both sides, Senate and uh, for both Republicans and Democrats. And so uh, as as those various members and their staff are providing their responses, it goes back to her. So, again, it, it seems like this. We're on the verge of knowing if our legal immigration system and basically the American workforce as we know it will uh, be completely overhauled through a completely partisan process. Wow. Wow. Uh, Robert Law, Director of Regulatory Affairs and Policy, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. If you go over to their website and uh, you can go under staff for Robert Law, you'll see he's writing on all these issues. And uh, I was uh, looking at one that's two pieces ago or three pieces. A lot of great writing there. So uh, check out the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Thank you, Robert, for the time. Keep us informed. It's an important subject. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and thanks for focusing on these important issues. Oh, you bet. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We come back. Uh, Robert Law, I'll put up his article on uh, social media. I want to make sure to say that. Sorry, I'm looking at that article. And we'll come back in a moment. we got to uh, wrap things up. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Today is Constitution Day a holiday which commemorates the anniversary of the day when 39 men signed the greatest governing document in the history of the world. For the first time ever, a government was formed by we the people to preserve our rights as given to us by God, not man. It's impossible to overstate how transformative that document was, not only for our history as a nation, but for every nation since. Many have tried to copy elements of our great constitution, but the original stands as the most perfect most transformative constitution ever written. When public servants take the oath of office, they swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Notice that they don't have to swear allegiance to the President, the Speaker of the House, or any other person. The Founding Fathers knew that no man should be higher than the law, so they set the Constitution as the highest law in the land. Their wisdom has enabled patriots to preserve freedom for many generations that have come and gone in our history. No matter what challenge our nation has faced, the Constitution has never been destroyed, though many have tried to weaken it. Sadly, too few Americans even remember Constitution Day, and fewer still will do something about it. One great way to celebrate is to read it. Though Congress can't seem to pass a bill today without killing a whole forest of trees to print it out, the original Constitution is remarkably brief. Most Americans can read the entire document in about a half an hour. While I'm afraid we don't have time on this broadcast to read the entire Constitution aloud, listen to these beautifully crafted words that make up the legendary preamble to the United States Constitution. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Happy Constitution Day to all, and may God bless America. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. All right. We've got to wrap some things up by giving you... I should do a segment every week on just the Politico. Politico.com is the left-leaning but very uh, well-written, pretty sophisticated uh, website. We, uh, they actually do publish a weekly, I think, peri- periodical, a paper copy. But they have a uh, a piece in the magazine. They do a magazine each week, too. It's I've never seen it if it's a real paper copy, too, but it's online. And so longer pieces, kind of like the New York Times magazine. And so Politico has a piece, and the title is Breathlessly, The Roberts Court is Dying. Here's what comes next. So now this is coverage, and it's a professor at the University of Chicago who is talking about the end of the world, about the, the court, because uh, Chief Justice Roberts is no longer in control when it was the Roberts Court, because he was very moderate. He's, he upheld Obamacare, for example. Now it's really bad, really bad. And so here, but here's what I want to point out to you. Because they, they lie so blatantly, and, and, and it's when you lie with such sort of certainty and authority, a lot of people believe it. So here's the fourth paragraph of this article, and it says, And while the Chief Justice Roberts hasn't fully lost his hold on the court, what comes next is quickly coming into view. Okay? Ooh, here it comes. The post-Roberts court is likely to be, okay, likely to be unfettered, by legalistic norms, okay, unfettered by legalistic norms. What does that mean? I mean, that means that Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, Alito, Thomas, they're unfettered by legalistic norms. What, what does that mean? I, I think what he, this author, I don't know who the professor is, is trying to say the Supreme Court is not going to be not, not going to be bound by the previous judgments. Well, that's what a Supreme Court is. A Supreme Court is precisely the court that has to decide over and over again what to, to what what the legalistic norms should be outside of the Constitution. Now, what that really means is the left wants you to be able to say, hey, there's Roe v. Wade. There's a made up uh, privacy right. And that's now enshrined in all of history. It must be protected. I think the opposite from conservatives. They say, wait, that was just made up. And so the legalistic norm that we agree to and is a majority of the court is you can't make stuff up. But here it goes on. Next part of the sentence. And the post-Roberts court is likely to be uh, unfettered by legalistic norms and eager to advance changes to the law, eager to advance changes to the law that both embed conservative policy goals and tilt the election system towards the GOP. What? Th- this is, I mean, again... When you say something, when you lie with such certainty and a, and a glean of authority, you, it has an effect. And so when you read that, you say, oh, wow, yeah, I mean, is that, they're likely to do that? Embed conservative policy goals. Now, there are some times, I won't lie about this, that their conservatives appear to try to make up stuff, too. In, in other words, I'm not saying that the human beings that are more conservative that serve on the court don't periodically make decisions where you say, huh, how'd they get to that? 
But that's also their problem. That's another fault. But the idea that somehow changing embed conservative policy goals, is it a conservative policy goal to believe that Roe v. Wade was a made-up privacy right, that enshrined abortion, it was nowhere in the Constitution? Is that a, an, 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 is that a conservative policy goal? Well, I suppose so. But again, the Supreme Court's job is to make decisions and say what is either in the Constitution or not what the Constitution means. Certainly not supposed to make up stuff, but my, that, that's, a, that's exactly why you have a court. And then the next one, and tilt the election system towards the GOP. What does that mean? How, how does that get through the editor of, the, of Politico? How do you, you're just asserting something that somehow the Supreme Court is going to tilt the election system toward the GOP. Does, does ruling that a um, photo ID is not unconstitutional or that better said a photo ID is constitutional? Is that somehow tilting the election system towards the GOP? Is that, is that the point? Because it might just be that when you contest whether a a uh, a, um, a a photo ID is an improper imposition on voters, it might just be you get to the Supreme Court and they say, "Yeah, no, you're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do it for reasons that are sort of uh, uh, that are against the Constitution, race, sex." But you can do that if you say, "Hey, we got a security issue. Photo ID is the best way to have security." We're going to do that. How is it tilting? In other words, my point here is what you what you have to learn to watch, and it's very important, is how slanted language is and how slanted the approach is that is meant to look like it's meant to look like reporting and news. And it's not. It's taken aside. And this is a great example of that. It's a gr- this is a fantastic example of how they start out saying they're going to cover something and they're actually uh, persuading they're, they're choosing sides themselves, the author. So it's a really good one. Now, check it out. I'll put it up on social media. Uh, I'll put that article up there. Uh, well, I want to say thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley. Uh, Noah is uh, hes getting a lot of people asking for Noah Says. We'll do a segment next week on Noah Says because he was so wrong on the recall. i got to find out if he's right on anything else. And thank you, as always, to Joanna for helping us book guests uh, out in the home office in St. Louis. We will be back tomorrow. I'm Ed Martin. It's a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.